You're listening to The Middle Manager with your host, Gabe Castro. Okay, welcome everyone to the show. Today, my guest is Captain Dominic Jones. He is with uh, Navy JAG. Uh, Dominic, how long have you been with the Navy? Uh, hey, Gabe. Uh, so uh, I've now been on active duty for almost uh, 23 years. 23 years. That's that's pretty amazing. That's a long time to do one, you know, one career because at least nowadays people jump from one thing to the next, it seems like. And to be in one place for longer than 10 years sometimes seems like a long time and doing 20 years, that's a long, that, that's a pretty long haul. So, yeah, you know, uh, it, I, I guess, I guess to some people it probably would be, but I remember that, you know, I mean, you know, back in the day of our parents, you know, I mean, them being on a job for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, was not, you know, uncommon. Uh, but yeah, but, but now, I mean, you know, for us, I mean, you know, because we can change careers so many times, you know, in our lifetime. Um, yeah, 20, 23 years definitely, you know, it looks like a long time and sometimes it feels like a long time. Too. Right. right. Yeah. I, I, uh, interview actually sat down and interviewed my dad, um, like two, three months ago and he was with uh -huh. us. He was with civil service. He did 42 years. And wow. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's double. I mean, that's a long, and yeah, that's, that's how our, you know, our parents, the previous generation, they, you know, they worked in one place for a long time. And, and I think now it's, we've, we've seen that we can, we can apply skill sets that we learn in one place to other places rather than just staying in one and only using certain skill sets and being able to move those into different areas of our lives. Now, how did you, how, what, what kind of brought you into the military? So, um, uh, I, I guess, I guess it, it's kind of twofold. Uh, number one is, is I always wanted to serve because my father served. Mm. Uh, my, uh, um, my dad, uh, he was a United States Marine, uh, and a Vietnam veteran. So I guess, you know, because of him, you know, there was always something inside of me that I always wanted to serve. I just never knew really when, where, or how it was going to, you know, manifest. Uh, and then fast forward, I am now in law school and I go in, uh, um, I'm in law school. I discovered that my passion uh, is uh, litigation. You know, I I I wanted to be a courtroom attorney. Uh, and uh, one day I'm at a, a job fair and I meet a Navy Jag, uh, and she starts telling me about you know all the litigation opportunities in the Jag Corps. Uh, and I got so excited. I was like, well, this is perfect because this. You know, this is where the, you know, my desire to serve and then my desire to litigate, I mean, they all just come together in this one point. I mean, it's like this perfect alignment. So, uh, I mean, kind of like the rest is history. I mean, I ended up applying and, you know, and, and, uh, and thankfully they actually ended up accepting me. That's pretty amazing. You, so you, you made that switch what, once you were already in the Navy? Oh, I, I becoming JAG? Yeah. Um, no, I actually, I actually came in as a tag. So once I, once I came into the, so um, I commissioned as an officer uh, when I was in my second year of law school. And how the program was designed is you finish law school, you take the bar, 
And after you get yourself licensed in whatever state you take the bar in, then you come on active duty immediately following uh, your acceptance to uh, your, 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 your state licensing. Um, so what ended up happening for me is, is uh, I graduated law school uh, in 1997, uh, took the bar that summer, uh, found out I passed the bar that fall, and uh, I was on active duty by January of the following year. Now, when you um, graduated law school, you went in, and from there, you started moving. You started moving around within that assignment as JAG. Uh huh. Oh, okay. So that's that. Is that something that's um, only in certain areas, or is that just everywhere that the military operates? Well, so for the Navy, uh, for for the Navy JAG Corps, there was there were normally two programs. There was a student program, uh, and then there was the direct uh, the direct accession program. The student program was is hey, as soon as you come out of law school, you pass the bar. You're going straight on active duty, and you're going to immediately, you know, you. Um, we go to Naval Justice School, which is where we learn how to practice military law. Mm. Uh, and then after that, we go to our first duty station. Or if you are a direct accession, basically you are someone who's already practicing as an attorney, uh, but now you decided that you want to serve, so then they bring you on active duty. So the thing for me is, is I don't, I knew nothing more than being a student. I mean, I spent no time in the workforce. You know, I spent no time in any other profession. I mean, I went from undergrad to law school to active duty. Wow. And in, in, um, in JAG, what was, what were some of the uh, notable assignments you had while you were, while you've been in, in the military? Well, um, uh, my very first assignment, I was uh, assigned to a trial shop. We called them trial service officers in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, so I spent three years there. I spent two years serving in Keflavik, Iceland. Hmm. Um, and that was that was like absolutely amazing. Um, oh. And then uh, I, I was in Iceland when 9-11 occurred. Oh, really? Um yeah, um, I mean, I remember exactly where I was. I remember when I saw it on the screen for the first time. I thought it was a hoax. I I didn't even think it was real. Yeah, I it was... thought it. I, I I thought it was. I thought it was a movie. I, I didn't think it was real. And I remember seeing the second plane hit, then walking down to my CEO's office, like, "Hey, uh, you're seeing this, right?" And he said, "Yeah, we're we're already all over it." And I remember uh, within maybe a couple hours of that conversation, the entire base going on lockdown. Um, so I spent so I was I spent nine eleven in Iceland, and then my next assignment was with Naval Special Warfare um, Group One here in San Diego, California, uh, and then I was assigned with them for Operation Enduring Freedom, and then. Uh, uh, then I was also attached to them for Operation Iraqi Freedom, uh, and um, yeah, that was a that was a that was interesting to say the least. <laughs> I could I could only imagine. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, but uh, but again, you know what a what a what a great bunch of uh, you know men and women to be able to serve with. Um, so and that was just really just kind of 
you know, something that really kind of opened my eyes to, uh, to just the nature of what we do uh, and the people who actually do it. Um, I mean, just, just, just a fine group of people to serve with. Um, then after that, uh, I was the, uh, I was the, uh, judge or I was the, uh, staff judge advocate on board USS Theodore Roosevelt, mm. uh, which is now going through all the COVID-19, uh, uh, drama right, right. now. But, uh, back when, uh, PR was back in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, I was, uh, I was the primary JAG on, um, on board that ship. Um, and then I also did assignments in, uh, in Hawaii and DC. Um, and, uh, right now uh, I'm currently, uh, with, um, working for a, a commander, uh, Naval Service Force U.S. Pacific Fleet. And I've now been assigned to this command for almost four years. Yeah. It's, it's been a little while since we've met. So, yeah. It has been. Yeah. So each, so essentially each area has its own kind of their own, its own little jag office i guess I, I don't know what you would call it but so 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 there's some commands to where you are in an office full of other attorneys um uh and basically you almost operate as a great big law firm or like a great big you know da's office or something like that um but then at other assignment kind of think of yourself as a in-house counsel or chief legal counsel to where you might have a small legal staff of maybe one or two other you know attorneys maybe a little uh paralegal support and that's it um so uh you know that the job varies um your resourcing varies uh, but one of the things that i think that the jag corps has always been good at was being able to uh instill us the ability to adapt to our situation kind of to be kind of plug and play players um and that's uh and that's kind of you know how i've operated for the last 22 almost 23 years wow. i consider myself more of a generalist like a specialist oh i see now being in jag what was one of the most challenging things you've you've faced or dealt with while being in the military? Well, um, hmm. I mean, you know, there's, there's, there, there've been a, there's definitely been a, you have to go through a career of, you know, 22 years uh, without some challenges. Um, well, I would probably say one of the most challenging things, uh, was actually, uh, deployment. Um, because, uh, I mean, being separated from your family, being separated um, from the people you care about, but also at the same time, you know, being, you know, someplace where, you know, you're in harm's way, uh, and you have a job to do, um, you know, sometimes, you know, that can be a little tough. Um, but I think that one of the ways that we, or at least I, over how I dealt with it, was kind of twofold. I guess number one was always remembering that I was serving a bigger purpose, and if the people that I served with could be there, you know, serving with honor, then I could as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing was my faith. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was I was someone who always, whenever you know I deployed, you know, I always kind of went into it with you know something. No matter what happens, I don't have to worry about it um, because I know that in the end, 
I know who my Lord, who my Savior is, uh, and I know that everything's going to be okay no matter how things happen or how things fall out. So I always have a peace, you know, that whenever I went forward, I always knew that in the end everything was going to work out one way or another. So that was always a good thing. Yeah, and is is have you seen faith being a like a big aspect of someone's of of carrying people through some of those challenging times in the military? You know, I have. Um, you know, and 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 I've definitely seen you know uh, 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 people you know find themselves either one relying on their faith. Or I've also seen people finding faith. Uh, I, I tell you, you know, uh, um, one, one, one way to definitely kind of, you know, find yourself, you know, calling out to God is when someone's shooting at you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or like, that's, true. <laughs> that's true. Or, or, or like, like firing mortar rounds at you. Uh, well, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I tell you, you know, that, that, that'll make you call on God real quick. Um, you know, so... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so I, so I would definitely say that I have seen it, and uh, of course, at the same time, you know, there's, you know, I mean, the military is a secular organization. Right. I mean, you know, it's not a Christian organization. So there are also lots of people, you know, who, you know, who, you know, who don't necessarily, you know, subscribe to that. But nonetheless, I know that for me, um, I know that number one, it carries me, and I know that sometimes when I let who I am shine through. Uh, you know, that motivates, that encourages, you know, other people. I remember um, one time uh, uh, when I was in Iraq, um, I had a roommate uh, and, um, you know, and, and like every morning, like our alarm clock, literally every morning, our alarm clock was incoming mortar round. Mm. And that's how I knew it was time to get up because you would hear, you know, the thump thumps and the boom boom mm. of all the mortar rounds. And I remember my roommate who outside, like when he wasn't in Iraq, I mean, you know, his normal job was, you know, he was a, he was an F-18 pilot. Um, and I guess it's a whole different experience when you're dropping bombs from 10,000 feet in the air by you being on the ground where the bombs get very real and very personal. Right. Uh, and I remember he just, you should just jump and he would just, just, you know, you could tell that it was, you know, all the anxiety that, that, that was in him. And I remember one day I was walking through our camp because we were, uh, our camp was in the middle of Baghdad. And I remember, and, and, and I, and, and, and I remember um, him one day stopping to talk to me. Uh, and he said, you know, Dominic, I don't get it. And I said, well, what's that you don't get? He says, how is it that you are so peaceful? He said, because I'm freaking out. Like every morning when I hear the mortar rounds, he said, I am almost jumping out of my skin. Uh, and uh, I told him, I said, well, I'm at peace because I know who I belong to. Um, and, and, and no matter what happens, I know everything's going to be okay. Don't get me wrong. I want to come home safe and sound. I want to come home and see my family. You know, I want to make it home in one piece. But, you know, if I don't, that's okay because I know that where I'm going is much better than where I'm at. Um, but at the end of the day, whether I go home or not, I'm at peace either way. Mm. He just kind of looked at me like, whoa. And I said, hey, you know, and, and that peace is yours if you want it, 
because that peace is found in Jesus. And Jesus, you know, Jesus is for you too, not just me. He's for you too. He loves you too. And he wants you to have the same peace I have. Um, and, you know, and, and, you know, he kind of looked at me and he kind of, you know, you know, brushed it off. And then he went on about his business. And then he never asked me that question again. Mm-hmm. Um, but the bottom line is, is it was an opportunity for me to not just be faithful, but to let other people see it and know that, you know, there's certain things that no matter how scary things might get, we did we don't have to be fearful. Um, so, right. I mean, again, you know, I, I know that that was something big for me and who knows i mean maybe that was a seed planned into him that maybe someday down the road long after we separated our paths i mean maybe that's something that came back to him mm-hmm. you know and now it's something he remembers and maybe that's kind of pushed him closer to faith as well i don't know you never know yeah you never know never, never know. know now <laughs> what are some of the uh what are some of the other challenges you've seen people have had in the military kind of how they've dealt with those oh well i mean there there there's there's really no limit to it i mean you know everything from from obviously the deployments but i mean just just basic things down to like for example i know that uh, a lot of what you know we kind of see now is is um you know suicidal ideation Mm -hmm. it's 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 you know it's crazy but i mean people don't manage stress well, today they weigh it like the way you know maybe our parents did back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's a, if it's a if it's a millennial thing or what. I mean, you know, I don't know, but I know that every day, you know, I get a report, you know, that kind of you know at least gives a lay down of you know what's happening in the service fleet. Mm-hmm. And almost every day, I'm seeing in the report that someone had a what we call a suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. where, you know, someone is, for some reason, someone is thinking that, you know, I am so stressed, whether it be because of the Navy life or whether it be, you know, whether it's because, you know, uh, you know family stuff that's resulting from the Navy life, life isn't worth living anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and keep in mind is, is we expect a lot of our sailors. Right. I mean, we ask them to do a lot. I mean, the hours can be crazy. I mean, you know, we, we you know, these guys will deploy six, seven, eight months at a time, mm-hmm. you know, come home and then all of a sudden something has come up and then they'll have to bust a U-turn and a couple weeks later they're back underway again. I mean, we expect a lot and we demand a lot um, and it requires a lot of resilience. It requires, you know, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, uh, you know, staying power and endurance because, again, you know, I can see how people sometimes get you know, frazzled, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it really kind of takes on a whole nother level when people get so anxious and so frazzled that they decide, you know, it'd just be better off if I wasn't here. Right. Now, is that, is that something you've seen increase over the years from the time maybe when you started till now? Well, I would, I would say that it's something that I've seen in- increase, but that might be for two. I mean, you know, but I don't know if it's because one, we're more sensitive to it now right so we have more reporting requirements right. to where you know um or basically you know we have you know more of that hey you know someone's kind of indicating that maybe you know they might think of hurting themselves that instead of people ignoring it people actually say hey well no something 
you know, let's talk about, hey, maybe maybe we should get you some help. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm sure years ago, you know, if someone was feeling suicidal, you know, I'm sure somebody probably, look, okay, stop being a baby. Right. You know, man up. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, just you know, you know, you know, put the big boy pants on and do what you got to do. Deal with it. Um, yeah, you know, you know, deal with it. Suck it up. Mm-hmm. And so it could be because then we weren't as sensitive to it, and because back then, you know, and maybe people didn't report it because there was a certain shame or stigma that went upon that that kind of came along with it. Now I'll say that now, you know, re- reporting is probably more. Do I think that maybe to some degree some people are maybe a little overly sensitive? Yeah, well, you know, maybe. Now, of course, I haven't walked in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, but the thing is, is that I think that now, um, I think now we are more sensitive to it. I think now we are more about reporting it mm-hmm. and, and, and providing aid to it. But I, just, but I also think that you know, probably to a certain degree, I don't know if, 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 if our younger generation is as resilient as the ones that came before. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've noticed that just in, in my industry as well, that, you know, in law enforcement, they, they, when I first started, it was, you just, you didn't talk to anybody. You just sucked it up. You just dealt with it. And, but I, but I have noticed and then that's part of the the question is is it like you mentioned is it a, a matter of reporting, or is it because it's it's increased? I because I, we've you know we we've lost a lot of people in law enforcement to that. And sure. And and you know when I first started, I didn't hear any of that. I didn't hear about any of it. And I and that's part of the question is was it you know was it acknowledged even? And mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and and you know it military s- similar to law enforcement is you know you have type a personalities and you have rank structures sure. and you know the whole thing sure. and and people didn't want to talk to anybody because they they didn't want that stigma of it they they didn't want mm-hmm. someone to think they were weak or or uh, unable to handle the, you know quote unquote their business and you know maybe maybe the, you know there's been a lot more resources lately for that as well but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if it's just a change in generation or just, or just that now it's more out there and people are more open with it that are just letting it out. Right. So I, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know really which one it is, but you know, it is, it is more prevalent in, in as far as just as it being out there versus when I first started and and it it's increased in awareness. I guess you could say it's just it's there's more uh-huh. awareness to it. That that's for sure. In that in that sense, that there's just more awareness to it. Right now, right, right. Now now that now that we've kind of, you know, now that we're kind of dealing with the crisis of of COVID, um, how are you, how are you guys managing with that in your kind of in your arena? Sure, sure. So. Um, I, I think I, I think well, first is to say that um, the Department of the um, of Defense and and again you know I'm I'm just speaking for you know for myself telling you like what my observations are and what is you know I know um, uh, but I can tell you that you know I believe that that the Department of Defense is taking it very seriously mm-hmm. I know that within my own organization um, you know we. I mean, even though technically the Navy is, you know, because we are two separate sovereigns, you know, 
federal and state. Mm-hmm. Um, although the Navy does not necessarily have to obey all the restrictions that the state puts out, because here's the thing, you know, defense of the nation doesn't take a break mm-hmm. just because of COVID-19. Right. I mean, you know, we, 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 you know, we still have concerns of national security um, that, 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 that still take place regardless of a virus. But that being said, we still want to protect our people because number one is, is there are people like we want to protect them. But number two is, is if all the people, I mean, if all of us are kind of, you know, inflicted or affected by this, well then we no longer have an effective fighting force. Um, right. And that severely affects our readiness. So as a result, I think that we're, I think that we're working very hard to protect ourselves as best as we can. I mean, we've got, you know, like for example, you know, um, uh, I know that um, there are some commands where, like, when you show up at the door, like, before they even let you in, they'll have someone there take, a, like, an infrared thermometer and scan mm-hmm. you just to see if you have a temperature. Right. And, you know, and then they'll, then they'll ask you a couple screening questions. Hey, have you been in contact with someone that, that has COVID-19? No. And they'll ask you these questions. And as long as you pass all that, well, then that, then you get to go in and go to work. Right. Uh, but at the same time, if you show up and you're exhibiting, you know, fever or certain flu-like symptoms or whatever, um, you know, they will, you know, they will have you quarantine yourself, you know, for 14 days right. and let it run its course and see, hey, you know, does, does this turn into something or or is it just, you know, nothing? Um, you know, we have restricted movement of our personnel. I mean, just like, you know, just as the nation has restricted travel. I mean, we as a military, we've also had to restrict our travel now. We are a worldwide organization, uh, but yet, you know, we have restricted travel to, you know, hey, if, if it's not absolutely necessary for you to travel, well, then you're not traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one of those things where I think we have really tried to take, you know, uh, really kind of, you know, uh, take things, you know, seriously. And of course, you know, when you consider, um, everything that's happening on board the Theodore Roosevelt, you know, right. that just really, I mean, that really just highlights that this is not, you know, this is not a figment of our imagination. And this is not one of those things where you say, oh, well, you know, you know, this affects everybody else. Mm-hmm. This won't affect us. Well, no. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt is dealing with a very real um, situation. And I think, uh, you know, and I think that because of that, uh, I think we, this period, we ought to even pay attention, and I think that the uh, Navy is doing its best to try and respond to that. Right, and even the you know law enforcement community—they're all doing—they're all doing the same same things. They're you know they're limiting contact. They're same thing, taking temperatures, the whole the whole right. the whole thing, and yep, social, that, yep, that, social distancing. Uh, yeah. Yep. That that way, if we've you know we've set it up to where. There's no, um, you know, diff- different shifts are not allowed to work other shifts to avoid any kind of cross right. cross contamination. The whole thing that way, you know, if if it's necessary, there's, you know, readily available amount of people to deal with any kind of situations that may come up. Right. And and so, you know, I would imagine that's a lot of the staff also have to work from home that can. How how has that been? Well, um, you know, we've, uh, um, I, again, just, just, just speaking for my office. Um, so, uh, 
our guidance was that uh, we we kind of went to a uh, to a uh, uh, blue and gold type structure to where you know half my office teleworks one day is in the office the next day teleworks the next day so it's like every other day you're in the office. Mm. Um, so I mean, there are people in my office that you know I mean you know I haven't seen uh, in like weeks. Right. Because, you know, you know, because we're on opposite, you know, schedules. But again, this is all trying to maximize social distancing while at the same time, um, you know, still being able to get the mission accomplished. Now, I'll say that as far as just the teleworking aspect of it, um, you know, uh, it's not as, you know, I mean, it is, it's good. But I mean, again, you're just not at max efficiency mm-hmm. teleworking. At least, at least, at least, I'm not. There, there are some people whose jobs lend to teleworking, and there's some people who are like telework warriors, right. and they do more, and they can do more from home than they ever could in office. Me personally, I'm just not wired that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, you know. I mean, I, I, I miss you know, and part of it's kind of like a, a resource and access issue. Right. Um, to where is that, you know, I mean, you know, I don't have the same access or resources at home that I do when I'm in the office. I don't have the same connectivity at home that I do when I'm in the office. Um, so as a result, you know, I'm not as productive as I would like to be. I mean, I, I, I'm, I can still be productive, but am I as productive as I would if, if I were in an office? No, I'm not. Right, because yeah, you you don't have all the um, all the all the resources you're used to using, the systems they're used to using, and right because everything becomes so limited, you you kind of have to do the you know the batching where the stuff you can do from home you only do pretty much only do from home, and then right. what, what you can do at in the office you only do in the office, and that and it's true because some people are. You know they're they're really good from working from home. I, I know for me because I've been doing some stuff from home. It's it's challenged just because because everyone's pretty much home. They're right. out here all day long, so that right that cuts into the time when you should be doing something, but you can't because everyone's home and right. you know, trying to concentrate, trying to focus can be cha- That's probably the the most challenging part of it working from home is just that everybody else is home as well. And that, uh-huh. especially when you have small children, that creates, you know, a bigger challenge trying to, sure. it's hard to explain to a four five, six year old that you're not here to play. You know, right. you're, you're actually working. You're not here to play like that. I, I understand that I'm here, but I'm not here to play right now. Like, right. And, and trying to explain that to him is so hard. And even like, like my daughter, I, I try to explain to her that, you know, what the days that she's at school, tell her when you're at school that, you know, when you were going to school, the time that you were in school was time. I was actually, I was actually doing work while you were in school. So you're not in school now, but I still have to do the work. Like the work doesn't go away. There's still a set amount of time. I have to get certain things done and trying to explain that it's, it's, it's almost impossible. But, you know, yeah. like you said, we just, you know, I've, I've kind of come to the point where I know I'm not going to be as productive as, as I would in the past. Like, 
probably most right. most people are dealing with now. It's just the reality of it. And just not not overly judge myself on when on things that I just can't get done in the timeline that I would normally would. And sure. just sure. work with what I have right. as, as best as I can. Because the entire world is dealing with this. This isn't just me. This isn't just the city. This isn't just the county. Just it's it's every, it's the entire world's dealing with this as well. So yeah. we're not. It's it, sometimes it feels like you're the only one, but everyone else is dealing with the same the same issues. Yeah. So yeah. knowing that, it's like okay, I, I put a little bit less pressure on myself to have to try and get things done, and realize that everyone else is dealing with this as well, and we just got to do the best that we can with with, sure. with what we have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I absolutely agree with that in that, yeah, I mean, we, we like have to, you know, we definitely have to do the best that we can, you know, and I can understand how, you know, it can be easy for some people to kind of maybe, you know, slack off or swap off right. and say, Hey, you know, you know, you know, I'm at home and all that stuff. And again, it is just like you said, I mean, our kids have no concept. I mean, you know, no matter how you try to explain it, daddy's home, but daddy's not home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm here, but I'm really not because I'm supposed to be working. Um, so, I mean, again, uh, you're right. I mean, basically, we got to just play the hand that we're dealt uh, and do the best that we can with it. You know, and I also agree that, I mean, and everybody's going through it. It's not just us. But I also know that, you know, sometimes when you're going through it, it's easy for you to get caught up in yourself and just think, well, you know, I got to deal with this and I got to deal with that. And uh, sometimes forget that, well, no, it's actually not just you. It's, mm-hmm. it's everybody else. So we're really all in the same boat. Yeah. We're all in the same boat and we're all trying to keep it afloat. Yeah. Amen to that, bro. Amen <laughs> to that. There's not a whole, whole lot else, we, you know, we can do. Just work together. Um, the other day I was yeah. talking to, um, you know, Ru- Rudy Batiste. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mexican and, cutie. <laughs> yes. Rudy the Mexican cutie. Um, he was telling me about the, uh, you know, the, the food supply part of it and how they've, since all this started, they've, they've had to work so much more together in the, you know, all the different suppliers in the supply chain have had to work together a lot more now because, because everything is just so fluid and everything is just so strained that they've actually found that they've had to work together because it, everything has just shifted just so much so rapidly and, and that's just the reality of it where we're at. We just got to work right. together now. Right. Now I, I know you were planning to retire from the military coming soon. Is that still, uh-huh. is that still on the table or, or does that kind of get pushed off to the side with, with this? Kind uh, of- well, no. Um, but well, thankfully, um, uh, thankfully, uh, my plan to retire uh, has not changed. Uh, you know, I am, officially retiring at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I, I guess, you know, there's always potentially that the uh, needs of the Navy could require that my date needs to be changed. Um, but uh, as of now, I'm not anticipating that, and I am praying against that. So, <laughs> so, I, am, I, so, so I, am, uh, I am fully expecting to retire at, at the end of the year. I have absolutely loved the Navy, um, and they're very, when I think about the best decisions I've made in my life, um, you know, the Navy is in the, is in the top three. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I think, um, 
I think this chapter is about done. I think it's about time to start writing another one. Time, so, time, now that you're still young, you still got plenty of time to write. Yeah. More, write, write a whole yeah, lot more yeah, chapters. I'm, yeah, that's right. I'm I'm not ready to start career too. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that in a couple of years. I'll I'll be right there right there behind you. Start starting a new sure. career now. Well, how was that transition to civilian life from military to starting to make that move? Well, um, you know, it's it, it, it's interesting because in light of COVID nineteen, uh, it, it 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 gives it a slightly different feel. Um, but uh, I, I'll tell you that as of now, I mean, you know, uh, thankfully. Uh, because I've been anticipating this day for a while, it's not as stressful for me as it is for some. Mm -hmm. um, there is lots of kind of, you know, there's lots of kind of, you know, the wind down of making sure that all your admin stuff is done, all your medical stuff is mm -hmm. done, you know, making sure that, you know, you're still kind of, you know, you know, getting all your tasks and the things that you need to get done, getting all that stuff accomplished, you know, trying to, I think probably the most stressful thing for people is to really answer the question, what am I going to do when I grow up? Right. <laughs> what mean, am I going to do I now? Mean, yeah, because, I mean, for the last 20-some years, you know, you know, you know, Big Navy tells you, all right, you're now going here. Okay, you're now going there. Okay, you're now going to do this. Okay, now, you know, so basically all you pretty much, I mean, we've kind of been on autopilot. I mean, you know, because like, okay, you know, not, not a whole lot of, I mean, you know, I might, you know, I might tell the Navy where I want to go, but at the end of the, at the end of the day, they'll send me where it is they want to send me, you know, but for the most part, there wasn't a whole lot of guesswork to it. But now that it's coming to an end, um, you know, and the Navy is all you've known for however many years, now you are now forced to face reality of like, okay, I'm, I'm getting ready to step out into the real world, mm -hmm. I mean, figuratively speaking, you know, whether that's corporate America, whether that, you know, whatever it is, and what am I going to do? Right. What do I want to do? Right. How am I going to survive? You know, how am I going to make ends meet? You know, I mean, you know, when I was in the Navy, you know, I, you know and, and I praise God for this, but I mean, you know, I never wondered where my next paycheck was going to come from. Right. I never really had to worry if my next paycheck was going to come, um, which is probably one thing that kind of, you know, um, you know, which I definitely kind of bless you, especially now with so many people, you know, suffering financially because of this virus. Right. But, you know, but, but there are certain questions that were always answered for you. Um, once you, I mean, once you retire, I mean, all that changes. So now, you know, so now I think for a lot of people, the biggest stressor is trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do? Um, and who am I? I mean, like, as in like, okay, because of all this time, you know, although the Navy does not define who I am, for lots of people, the Navy has defined who they are. Mm -hmm. So now they have to figure out, they have to establish who is my idea? What is my identity outside the Navy? Right. Who am I? What skills do I have that will translate into corporate America? Right. What can I do? Um, you know, heck, a resume, what is that? I got to build a resume. You know, I mean, all these things that people are in corporate America, that's just their life. That's right. just, yeah, okay, yeah, I have to have a resume. Yeah, I have to apply for a job. Yeah, I know how to do this, 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 and this. 
but when you come out the military, I mean, it's really having the kind of establish and figure out, you know, not just what, what do I want to do? What can I do? What skills do I have that will translate mm-hmm. uh, into the civilian workforce? Um, and I know that probably more so than anything else, that's probably what causes the most stress for people is just figuring out what am I going to do when I get out? Now, for some people, you know, it's easy. You know, for some people, they already know, they already got a plan. But for a lot of people, they don't have a plan. You know, they're just like, look, I'm just trying to get to retirement. But as that day comes closer, they find themselves really having to kind of take an inventory of who they are, where they've been and what they've done to figure out, okay, what am I going to do when I'm no longer putting on the uniform? So yeah, so I, I think that so I think that probably for those people who are coming up, you know, who are coming to that point, um, you know, I think there there needs to be a lot of soul search and a lot of kind of you know giving yourself some time to really assess what is it that you want to do because I mean I, I tell you you know for me I see this as an opportunity to now do some dream chasing. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. now, you know, get out and say, hey, all right, you know, I've not served my country, you know, for the last, you know, 20 something years. Um, I've done what I had to do and, and I'm honored to have been able to have done it. But now, you know, what are my dreams? You know, right. can I, can, am I in a position where I can start, you know, chasing after, you know, what I really want to do or what I believe I've been called to do? Um so anyhow, yeah, I'm 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 not sure if that quite lands on your um on what is you're asking me, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm talking, it it definitely does. I, I I like that um kind of that phrase dream chasing. Like now I have, you know, you've served, you've you know you've put up, you probably put up with a lot, and you've gone through a lot of challenging times. You've gone through good times. You know, you've kind of run the gamut, and. You know, you come out the other end of retirement it, it, and it's it's very similar for, for law enforcement when they have to, you know, approach retirement or, or they reach that point and they too have such an identity with that uniform, such an identity with whatever the rank was that right. they, they have, they do have a very, very difficult time really transitioning, transitioning yeah. from, from who they were because, you, you know, when you come out as, you know, a manager, you know, I've, I've been a supervisor for about six, seven years now. And there's so much that I've learned in the management of, of people in that, in that particular rank. But I've seen other people that I've, I've worked side to side with, and they're such, they're so tied to that rank. They're so tied to that identity that they don't, they don't, they don't even want to retirement, want to retire because they don't know what, you know, what to do with their lives, like you mentioned, and they hold on for a lot longer than they need to. And then one of the sure. things, one of the things that I've noticed is that people who have purposely delayed their retirement are so much more unhappy because mm. they've they've kind of passed that you know that season where it's no longer enjoyable for them, and it's kind of time right. it's kind of time for them to move on to whatever the next season in life is. But they're holding on mm-hmm. because of that fear to quote unquote dream chase or to do something new or just even the lack of ability to see something new 
that they hold on longer and then they're just miserable. I've, I've seen people miserable, but they don't want to retire because they just don't know what to do. And, and they, right. I, and I've tried to, I've tried to hint to them like, Hey, like this is your opportunity to do whatever you want or to look mm -hmm. back. Cause yeah, you have to take that inventory and say, okay, what is it that, that I do, that I do enjoy or that I did enjoy that I can now do and not really have to worry about kind of that financial aspect because that, you know, you worked up to a point so that now you, you're actually able to have something at the end. And now there isn't that stressor that you have to work that much harder, but now you can turn something that you enjoy into something that now can help support you at the same time, have some kind of base to just keep you going. Right, but, but that I mean, right. It's it, and it just it's amazing to me how people will hold on to that identity, even in even when they're miserable, and delay mm -hmm. that retirement because they don't know how to transition and they have such yeah. such a difficult time doing it. Yeah, and, and yeah, it, and you know. It, go ahead. No, no, I, I, I was just gonna say that. Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. Is that. You know, I mean, you know, for, for like someone who is, you know, who has served in a particular capacity and risen through the ranks, you know, they served and they've worn the uniform and they've served in that capacity for 20 plus years, um, you know, and they've come to, you know, to kind of, you know, understand and enjoy, you know, the, the you know, the comfort, the security, um, to to some degree the predictability of it, yeah. I mean, you know, and the thing is, is that uh, um, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because I think about myself, and just by nature being, you know, you know, a captain, mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, you know, when I, you know, when I walk on board a ship, you know, I mean, they, you know, they ring bells and they call out, you know, you know, uh, you know, captain, you know, United States Navy arrives. You know, I, I walk into a room, you know, or I walk to a command and people call attention on deck, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, and, you know, and, and I can understand how someone, you know, can be accustomed to that. And then once they come out the Navy, I'm not Captain Jones anymore. I'm Dominic. Yeah. You know, people, you know, you know and, and, you know, and, and, and I can see how, how some people kind of, you know, grow accustomed to that. But I mean, again, um, I think, for those people, like you said, is, is, you know, that's so defined and they've gotten so used to it is that, you know, once they come out, they're like, okay, who am I if I'm not wearing the uniform? Who am I, you know, if I'm not this rank? You know, who am I if I'm not driving ships or, you know, or, you know, or like, or like fighting the enemy with guns blazing? I mean, who am I? Right. Um, and that's, and not only is it challenging, but as you mentioned, it's scary it's it's really scary i mean you know i can i can say that a lot of people with, with much greater face down an armed enemy and have to face down what am i going to do when i'm no longer wearing a uniform mm -hmm. so is there something kind of something practical you can give to anyone looking to go into the military to kind of like kind of like a, a practical tip you're going to go into the military, something for them to think about or to be cognizant of 
kind of a high point of something that, hey, you're going into my military, be, be aware of this. Like, this is the thing that you need to be aware of. And this is kind of how you deal with that. Okay. All right. Well, I, I tell you, there is, my man, there are so many lessons that I have learned that I'm trying to figure out, like, like which one to pick and <laughs> which one would be the, be like, like the, the most, you know, best for you now. Um, so, um, I came in as an officer, uh, not as, um, as, uh, enlisted. So I'll just speak from an officer perspective. Um, but, uh, uh, hmm. Wow. There, there, there really is a lot here. Um, so, um, I guess, I guess, uh, one, one of the, one of the things is, um, I, I think that to a certain degree, when, when like you come into an organization, uh, I think to a certain degree we have to remember is that professionally it's no longer really about Mm-hmm. It's about advancing the mission and advancing the team. I mean, that is the nature of the job. Um, and I think that people need to walk in with their eyes open to that. Um, and, 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 and this is good, bad, or indifferent, what is I'm saying. But I think, I think when people sign up, you have to understand that, you know, you, even though you're coming into the Navy, you're coming to the military. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, and our primary, you know, job, you know, is basically, you know, the security of, of our nation. Uh, and people need to come in with a full understanding that, you know, Hey, you know, it isn't, you know, this isn't about me. Once I, once I joined the Navy team, uh, I am joining, you know, an organization, you know, that is, you know, that is, you know, looking at higher and greater good than just myself. Um, and, you know, and I know that, that, that there have been some people who have come in and been like, you know, I'm not satisfied with this. I'm not satisfied with this, with that. And I sometimes have to look at them and ask, what exactly were you signing up for? Um, please don't get me wrong. I, I do believe that people need to be challenged. I believe people need to be developed. I absolutely believe that job satisfaction is an amazing and wonderful thing, but, I still think that people still have to walk in understanding is that, you know, when you take that oath to defend, you know, you know, to like, you know, defend the constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Sometimes that means that the nature of your job is going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that means the nature of your job means you're going to have to do things that you otherwise would not want to do. Right. But because somebody is telling you or ordering you to do it, then you got to do it. Um, and, uh, and I think that when people walk into the military, um, with that, um, then, uh, I, I think, I think, I think they end up having more job satisfaction because they're not discombobulated about what it is they're doing, but they actually get, look, this is what I signed up for. I know what I'm signing up for because this is what I signed up for. Then I find satisfaction in it because that's not, I'm, I'm not surprised by it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so just for someone who's coming in, just, just, just come in with your eyes open. I would tell you that I didn't come in with my eyes open. If I'm being really transparent, mm-hmm. um, I had on, uh, I had on rose colored glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I remember my mom after I commissioned my mom. So this was, you know, I, I, I commissioned in 1996 
um, what I believe uh, Iraqi uh, uh, Desert Storm and all that stuff mm-hmm. you know, had, occurred, had occurred. What the uh, early um, early nineties, uh, late eighties, early nineties. Right. Um, and uh, I remember my mom asked me the question, and keep in mind, like you know, having had a a wounded Vietnam veteran as her husband, my mom is sensitive to her loved ones, you know, you know, possibly going to war. And I remember my my uh, my mom asked me, said, well, son, if you're in the Navy, if we go to war, doesn't that mean that you could possibly have to go? And and my response was 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 both arrogant and ignorant. My response was like, Ma, look. I said, Mom, nobody wants a piece of us. You know, mm-hmm. we just, you know, we just beat up Saddam Hussein. You know, he doesn't want none of this. Russia's right. falling apart. Everybody loves us, Mom. We're not going to war. And besides, I'm a lawyer. Why would they send me? <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I will tell you that everything that I told my mom that was not going to happen is exactly what happened. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I have, I have, I have been, I've been on two, I've been on two, uh, 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 deployments to Iraq. I've been on one deployment for OEF, um, on board Theodore Roosevelt. And I was on another kind of shortened assignment as part of the joint spot, uh, special operations task force, all of which, put me in harm's way and right. you know and all of which of me not appreciating what a navy jag does for the navy um what what a navy jag does in like wartime because here's the thing i mean war has rules right um, lots of people that think you just going you just shoot you know your enemy is no so war has rules and, and and you know your jags help you navigate those things um so i mean again i did not have an appreciation of what I was signing up for. Uh, now, thankfully, I eventually did develop that appreciation uh, and, and ended up, you know, loving, serving all the more. But I can tell you that um, I was very naive when I came in. And uh, uh, if I didn't already have that desire to serve, I might have I might have been somewhat disenchanted and been like, okay, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't, you know, you know this isn't what I wanted. Uh, and, and, you know, and I might've maybe looked at my Navy experience differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, my, my big things is make sure that people, you know, when you sign up, make sure that you do it walking with your eyes open, knowing what it is you're signing up for. Right. Right. Very true. Well, I mean, I, I think that wraps, wraps it up. Uh, you pretty much, uh, wrapped it up in a nutshell. Okay. Awesome. So, uh, Last parting word for uh, for those out there, you know, just when you're in in you know this kind of environment, you know, stay strong. Uh, one of the things that I I was given for advice was don't don't ignore or don't cut off the people that you've held close before you went into this kind of environment, military or law enforcement. You know, I had a friend who was already doing the job. And he told me, keep the friends that you have now, even though you're going to want to get new ones, once you've entered a, you're going to enter a different world, hold on to the friends you have now and have as many outside friends as possible, because those are the going to be the people that are going to keep you, uh, 
in a good foundation as opposed to just having everyone either in law enforcement or in this case, military, so that you can be more of a real well-rounded person and have people outside of that um, arena. Yeah. And, and it was very true because, yeah. and that's what I did. And it made a huge, I saw it made a huge difference for myself, maintaining all the relationships that I had outside of work, because those are the people that kept me more level-headed that, that kind of gave me a continued perspective of life in a different manner than those already in, you know, my industry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I absolutely a hundred percent agree with that. Um, I can say that sometimes the challenge for some military people in military is that where is that, you know, um, Gabe and I, and I assume, you know, I mean, you know, you've been in the same area for, a you know significant period of time, whereas you know uh, you know service members you know will be one place for a certain period of time. We will build relationships um, outside of the Navy, uh, but then what it, what ends up happening is is that after two or three years, you get orders that now send you someplace else, mm-hmm. and then you got to basically uproot, go try and reroute somewhere else uh, and then after that you know you try to do the whole thing all over again and then right as you start to get connected and build those relationships uh, then you get uprooted you know again now thankfully um, you know with, with modern technology and all that stuff you know uh, there are certain relationships that you continue to maintain um, and, and I absolutely agree that you know, I mean, having all military friends, I mean, I mean, I've got lots of, you know, friends in the military, but I also have deep relationships with a lot of people who are not in the military. And I think, just like you said, that's very important because these people offer you different perspectives. Um, you know, they, I mean, they're, I mean, the, the things that concern them are often different than the things that concern you because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you mean, because we deal with our law enforcement or, or our military, you know, perspectives. But it's nice to get the perspectives and get, you know, the just the thoughts and the dialogue and the idea exchange. Or heck, is just the care and concern of just people, you know, who just, you know, see things from a different perspective. Right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it all up. Uh, thanks. Okay. Thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate. Well, yeah, you thank take, you so much for having me. Taking taking some time out. Um, stay safe out there Absolutely. and take care. Right, you as well. All right. Guys, All right. Take care. All the Bye. best. Bye. Bye. And that wraps up today's episode. I hope you extracted some value out of this episode. If you did, be sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast and be sure to share it to a middle manager near you. Have a great day.